after competing for so many years, I know my uh, strengths and weaknesses. Uh, practicing uh, the same speech again and again will very quickly make me bored and not having enough positive energy when I'm on stage. Sure. So that's uh, definitely not the way uh, I need to prepare and go for the world championship. Welcome to or welcome back to Coffee with April. My name is Patrick Rolf, and this is a conversation with some amazing professionals and entrepreneurs in the coffee industry. Sharing their perspective and experience, it's about integrity, quality, and the future. For this episode, I sat down with Kapu Chu, the founder of Cupping Room in Hong Kong. Kapu, for me, is one of the most well-rounded coffee professionals in terms of his understanding of the coffee profession, both as a barista and roaster. The work he does on a daily basis at Cupping Room is truly exceptional, and what he's been able to deliver in competitions is out of this world. He's one of the best coffee professionals around, in my opinion, and this was a really interesting conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So we're sitting, we're actually sitting in my apartment in Copenhagen and I have a very exciting person here uh, that have traveled a very long way to get here, all the way from Hong Kong. Um, Kapo, the founder of Cupping Room. And I want to begin this conversation with the, the first time we met, which was basically in Taipei, Taiwan, um, almost a year ago, six months, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I interrupted a conversation you had with um, a mutual friend of us that is, is or were about to compete in, I think, in Brewers, I think, yes. National Brewer Championship. And you said this line, these words that I'm convinced, as I, as I told you before as well, um, I'm convinced helped me one in Sweden. Because you said something about competing that I never... Um, never fully understood myself and that was along the lines with and correct me if i'm wrong um that when you went up in korea to compete in the world's barista championship which you end up third in uh, you almost didn't practice and the reason for that is because you realize that it's about how good you are on a daily basis and it's about being good enough on that to be secure enough in taking that with you when competing, right? Can you can you tell us more about that whole idea and, and philosophy about competing? Um, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to uh, speak in this podcast. Of course. Um, I think competition to me and to a lot of people, it's a way to learn about yourself. Mm-hmm. And throughout the years, I've been competing for... Um, many years since 2011 uh, where initially when I first start I actually practice a lot because I know that is my weaknesses because I didn't have too much experience mm. uh, being on bar making coffee and talking yeah. at the same time but after competing for so many years I know my uh, strengths and weaknesses um, practicing uh, the same speech again and again will very quickly make me bored and not mm. having enough positive energy when I'm on stage. Sure. So that's uh, definitely not the way 
um, I need to prepare and go for the world championship. Uh, whereas my weaknesses is um, about you know having a clear state of mind, uh, not drinking too many coffees just uh, before on stage, and thinking what I really want to talk about, and um, but having that confidence, not practicing a lot on the coffee, uh, is actually a very brave thing uh, for many competitors. But also, it's very difficult if you are not experienced enough in terms of uh, speaking in front, like public speaking, and also um, working on a machinery that is not what you are working with day to day on a day to day basis. Different water, different machine, uh, same grinder but different. Uh, it's always different, right? Yeah, it's yeah. always yeah. different. Yeah, um, and well. What surprised me is um, I this is the first competition I decided not to bring my own grinder. Uh, but then I realized the grinder that they give us is a totally brand new unseasoned blur. Uh, blur. So it kind of shocked me a little bit, but I really brought enough coffee to um, run through uh, quite a lot of coffee so that on the competition day is actually okay. Uh, but that's also experience. Um, what we've prepared for um, some scenario, uh, it's kind of accumulation of previous competition experience, but that helped me to um, just do just enough um, practice and with my familiarity of, of the coffee, uh, I am able to perform uh, the way that I like. Yeah, because it, it was also a, a coffee that you... The, the interesting thing with, with... There's a lot of interesting things with, with Cupping Room, and we're going to try to to go through all of them. And, and kind of, I just want to shoot in between here and say that you're working with a lot of really good coffee. A lot of really good green coffee, mm-hmm. right? which is really one of the... Probably one of the better collections of green coffee in like all the roasteries in the world, mm-hmm. I would say, right? okay. which is really impressive. And, okay. Because uh, you're saying that you're pretty familiar with the coffee, but it's still a geisha. Uh, that was still a geisha village, geisha, right? Yes. Last seventy. Um. Seventy-one. Seventy-two. Seventy-two. Because yeah, I remember a, that. Because last year's crop. Yeah. yeah, you had two lots, yeah, and fifth, one was fifty-one. The the sweetest one of the sweetest natural processed coffees that didn't taste as a natural that mm. I ever had. Mm. I think that was pretty remarkable with that coffee. Yeah. When you are, you said you've been competing since 2011. Yes. Was it always barista for you or has it been other competitions as well? So um, the story starts from in 2010 after my graduation of master degree uh, in the States. And I spent a previous summer in San Francisco where I experienced the, the taste of specialty coffee over there in 2009. So after graduation, when I went back to Hong Kong, it happened to be just after the year of market crash. I couldn't find any job. And I was like, mm, maybe I should start my own business. And um, the coffee back then was pretty suck. Um, there was no specialty coffee in Hong Kong. Um, so I thought it would be a very nice idea to um, bring that um, San Franciscan, you know, uh, coffee cultural experience back to Hong Kong. So um, that's why I decided to uh, go into coffee without any previous... I with, I have never worked in, you know, Starbucks, uh, 
during my you know summer job or whatever. So it's totally new experience. I just had the business idea in mind. Uh, I thought I would do well, but not as a barista. It's more like a business owner, and I would hire some barista and do well. Yeah. But uh, but then um, we hire a coffee trainer at that time to train my barista to um, you know make coffees, and I feel like I. It's pretty easy for me to pick up uh, to learn the skills, you know, latte art, steaming, and everything. I learned much faster than my barista, and it happened uh, a year later when I decided to sell uh, my share back to. Um, I had a partner back then, so uh, that little small experimental coffee shop that we opened uh, didn't really. Um, turn out to be what I like because so it's so more that, like a that was not a cupping room. That was not something else. Room. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It it was a small kiosk, um, and it's like selling takeaway coffee. People grab and go without really talking about the coffee. Mm. So I decided that was not something that I want to, um, like work with, five years. I want to start something new. So um, after a year. Working with that experimental coffee kiosk, I uh, decided to sell back my share, and then I was looking for a shop to open. Uh, then became cupping room, but at that time there was the first ever barista championship in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um. So I was like, mm, I have some time to spare. Um. Uh, uh. To compete to meet some you know people like get to know more about industry and know more about specialty. So I decided to compete, uh, with not too much um barista experience competing, so um, and that decision was made just a month before the competition. So I have a full month practicing drinking tons of espresso. Remember, I like taste fifty or sixty espresso on a practice day that I crash and, um. My my wife carried me back home. Uh, yeah. That time it was crazy um, time. But I ended up second place uh, during that year, so I think uh, not only I, you know, met some people that I uh, do some networking, but I also feel that I am maybe destined to be a barista competitor. So I um, three. Months later, I uh, started up cupping room, and we are doing. Uh, back then was pretty new because we are getting roasters. Um, uh, like every month, we change different roasters from all over the world, and I got the 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 experience to learn brewing uh, roasters from different country, different styles, mm. and it's pretty much self taught. Uh, we did it for two years. Uh, the the coffee shop, the cupping room back then wasn't making too much money. The money that I made, I used up all of them uh, for travel, uh, traveling to different city, talking to barista, learning how to brew, how they brew coffee, and you know how different roast style affect how um, how to brew and how people liked it. Uh, but that experience really, um, it's like way better than. Uh, what I could imagine, I could learn, because um, back then there was not so much information. I remember the most that I learned from reading uh, on the internet is uh, 
James Hoffman blog, James Seven. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that was at the time um, people just started to use scale for uh, measuring yield, you know, like a long, long time ago. But it was just like four or five years ago. Uh, so I uh, continued competing. Uh, the second year, I won the Hong Kong Championship. Uh, and then uh, I represent Hong Kong to compete in Melbourne, which I was uh, 15th place. Mm. Uh, a few points uh, uh, missed out semi-final. So, um, well, what, which coffee did you use back then? then? Uh, I worked with counterculture. Mm. Um, and it was a Kilimanjaro oh, yeah. from El Salvador. Yeah. I think I used... I, don't really remember. I think I used two different processing and talking about um, how processing affect flavors, stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. I want to just go back to because I'm interested in how people get into coffee. Mm-hmm. And you already said that you were in in the states. You just finished your your master degree, um, and then out of nowhere you you start a coffee business. Um, but what is your your master in? Um. Supply chain management and Supply finance. And finance. Yeah, that's really not related to coffee. <laughs> but but probably something that I've actually helped you now, mm-hmm. especially moving into the roastery part of, of of business things. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty true. So what is your, so the the main motivation for you to move into coffee was, uh, business opportunity. Is that fair to say? Was to survive. Was to survive. <laughs> sure, sure. That's, that's a very good reason. Yeah, was to find a job. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Being my own boss. Yeah. Yeah, it's and the way. How difficult is... I'm interested in people because after... So I started April now one and a half, almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's an interesting journey. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very, very different from being employed. Mm-hmm. Right? That's... it's actually a pretty big step right mm-hmm. um how did you how did you feel about that starting the the first business and then also moving into cupping room um was that a big step for you was that a difficult step or was that a very natural thing whereas you you knew all your all your life that you wanted to do a company of some sorts or were, were you a born entrepreneur if you can use that term i think uh entrepreneurship it's uh running in my blood because my my dad used to be an uh, entrepreneur, and my, oh. my elder brother also started his own company. Okay. Yeah. So I always think of myself um, being a boss of myself. Sure. But, but, that, um, but the thing is always, what do you start? Like, what's, what is your passion? What do you want to work with? What do you want to work on? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just happened to... Um, I had a very nice experience... Uh, a very nice summer in San Francisco having that coffee experience that kind of uh, it's a light bulb uh, moment for me to okay I should do that yeah Yeah. that's so funny because I had my moment like that when when deciding to move into coffee Mm -hmm. was in San Francisco as well okay Uh, at uh, now these days unfortunately pretty controversial uh, four barrel they've been through some hard times in in media recently Mm -hmm. Uh, but back then, I think, or I hope, everything was okay with them. Um, and it was a barista in their shop because I went to their shop um, basically once a day for two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. I was in San Francisco for, for business with other stuff. 
Um, and he was the first guy because he asked me if I were going to compete in coffee because mm-hmm. he thought I was a barista because I always came to, to the bar. Um, so he was the first one to kind of show me that you could compete in coffee, which is something I got really hooked on. Okay. So I competed. I went back home. And before I even started with coffee, I convinced the owner of a roastery called Damateo in Gothenburg to let me practice in their lab mm-hmm. by myself mm-hmm. without knowing anything. Because okay. they, they were hosting the regional in Sweden mm-hmm. in Marissa Championship mm-hmm. like a month after that trip. Um, so I guess San Francisco has that kind of vibe on people. Like it's an interesting city in that sense as well. It's definitely. Yeah. What was the biggest? So you go into the coffee kiosk. You decide you want to do something else. Um, you start cupping room. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is cupping room like? When you started, what was the vision? What did you want cupping room to be? So um, I named cupping room because you know when you are buying coffee, buying green coffee. Um, you don't know what to expect before um, it's presented on the cupping table. Uh, so for me, uh, cupping room or uh, cupping is a way to discover great coffee. So I want that distilled to my customer. Uh, cupping room is a destination if they want to. Uh, if they come to cupping room, they will um, discover great coffee through our interpretation. Uh, initially, it's about bringing different roasters from all over the world uh, but at, uh, as we grow and as we know more about um, extraction and roasting so we see a big connection between sourcing roasting and brewing mm. so we think the best way is to you know do everything do everything yeah yeah how how many years did it take from so you started then one coffee shop Mm-hmm. And then you opened up more coffee shops, and then you started to roast after that, right? We actually initially bought a one kilo roaster oh, yeah. um, cool. many years ago. Uh, with like, I think the first year we started cupping room, uh, I experimented a lot. A lot. Um, not that we don't think uh, we can roast well, but it's just our scale is too small. Um, and because of my background in supply chain, we, I know that if you want to have a consistent product, you have to, you know, have, uh, you know, green coffee turnover. Uh, you don't want to end up, you know, green coffee, old coffee yeah. um, become old coffee. Mm-hmm. And you have to have the channel to sell. And we were so small and we didn't have any um, chance to run the model that I like. I, I could not source fresh coffee. Uh, I, even though I can buy, but I cannot sell. Mm. So it's not the model that uh, can sustain by itself. So I just uh, keep on growing cupping room until at the point where um, the finance makes sense. Mm. Uh, we can sell and we can buy and we can keep on using fresh coffee. Uh, that's... Um, like four or five years later. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So you basically made sure that your, your coffee shops 
um, was was a good enough customer to, to supply a road street mm-hmm. more or less, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is a very smart. I'm I'm always very curious as to how people start road streets because mm-hmm. it's very difficult. Yes. Uh, and, and absolutely. Is. I think a lot of people have this idea that it's 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 not so difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Yet everyone on this uh, this podcast, which all in some capacity started mm-hmm. a coffee roastery, would, would tell you that it is very, very difficult, mm-hmm. especially especially these days, right? Yes. Um, I'm pretty curious because what I see when I go to Asia and I, I work with roasters there is that the green coffee supply is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Is that difficult for you as well in Hong Kong or is Hong Kong easier because it's a bit more international as in like actually getting good green coffee? Um, part of the difficulties in Hong Kong is we don't have too much storage space. Yeah. Uh, if you want like cheaper um, green coffee, then you have to buy like a pallet uh, yeah. at the minimum. Sure. But then you don't have space to store it. Mm. But uh, there are a couple of green um, distributor in yeah. Hong Kong that they offer service of they will store your green bean and okay. then whenever you whenever you need them you. Uh, make a call and they will deliver by the bag or half a bag to yeah. you. That's pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, but that's not the way that we we end up going because okay. um, we've been using a roaster from the States called the Sweet Bloom Coffee Roasters sure. uh, for the past two, three years before we start roasting. And we found it very um, kind of natural and logical that we, because we have same roasting and sourcing philosophy. So why not buying green coffee together? Even though I'm not buying roast coffee from him, but um, we can pool our resources and like strategic buying sure. together. Grow, grow the volume together. Yeah, yeah so uh, that's uh, our model. So, um, so basically, Sweet Bloom is my green buyer. Amazing. Uh, wow. Yeah, we uh, trust very much his... Um, experience on sourcing great green coffee and he also has very good relationship mm. uh, with different green distributor and also um, directory mm. um, from from the origin um, so that's most of the coffee we bought from him except that uh, most of the geishas which is a little bit more difficult to sell in the states because mm. the customer is a little bit more price sensitive than sure. in Asia so we direct um buy uh, our geishas from um, more recently is uh, Geisha Village um, but all the other coffees we share together with Sweet Bloom that's amazing I think that's really interesting because we hear um, I hear a lot of uh, green coffee is a big challenge mm-hmm. it's a big challenge for me here in Europe as well mm-hmm. um, and one of the the main things that we're looking for is consistency right because we want a good coffee every season and if we can we want the same coffee every season right because that's also adding more value to the farmer but mm-hmm. then you have the challenge of um, we don't have to mention any numbers but April as a coffee roastery is absolutely tiny right mm-hmm. um, and then it's very very hard because we don't have any buying power mm-hmm. right and the only way to really be sustainable from a farm perspective and to ensure you can get the same coffee is to basically buy a container Yes. Right. You need to buy a lot of coffee. Mm. So, for me, hearing that you're basically consolidating your your buying, mm. that's really fucking smart, <laughs> actually. And I think that's something that's something that I I'm 
I'm thinking along those lines now because mm-hmm. I'm realizing, especially doing it with another coffee roastery, is very smart mm-hmm. because they have the same objectives and interests as, as you have as well, especially mm-hmm. if it's a um, roastery where you work with before mm-hmm. and you, you really like their coffee. Um, and it must, ma- it must make your life as a roastery way easier as well. Yeah, I realize um, green sourcing is an just a totally different ballgame. It's yeah. another skill set. There are a lot of negotiation. You got to be smart, experienced, because you don't want to end up buying the sample may be good, at, but the green, when it arrives, it may not be the same as what you expect. So there are a lot of negotiation. It's, it's totally different expertise in it. So uh, I think it's it's good if you are really into it and mm. there's a lot of learning and, you know, making mistakes. And But uh, we happen uh, to partner with Sweet Bloom, which make our lives much um, easier. Sure. Yeah. I think that that's actually is a very interesting thing, and, and I think the green coffee part is is important to understand, as you say, how different it is. Because mm-hmm. a lot of roasters think they're green coffee buyers just because they cup some coffee from a supplier mm-hmm. every year and buy some coffee, right? And as you say, it's it's a lot more complicated mm-hmm. than that. Um, let's move over to the the roasting side of things, okay. because that's exciting, right? We we like to roast coffee and. Um, I've been trying your coffee now for a relatively long time, quite continuously. We send some coffee forth and back. Uh, it's really good coffee. And it's consistently really good coffee. Okay. And I think that's uh, remarkable because it's almost impossible. It's very difficult. Meaning that most coffee I try is not as consistent as what I feel coming out of the coffee room. Right? which is, is part of the reason why you're sitting here as well, because yeah. I, I just want to figure out what you're doing so I can steal it myself. No? But no, consistency is very important as a roastery. Yes. Consistency is very overlooked as a roastery, I feel, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys are also pushing omni-style roasting. Yes. Right? Which is an interesting subject as it is as well. And most of you listening to the podcast knows already that I don't do omni-roasting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no opinion. Like... We all roast differently, right? Mm-hmm. But in the world of omni-roasting, um, I think that Cupping Room is a roastery that does omni-roast uh, in the way I like the best, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Because a lot of roasteries doing omni-roast have a very hard time to, to relate to that. Mm-hmm. But on the subject of brewing filter and espresso uh, from the same coffee, then I think you guys are doing a really strong job. Okay. Um, but can you just walk us through... So you obviously bought a roast machine bigger than the one kilo that, that you had before. Yes. Um, what did you buy? Why did you buy it? Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see if we can go in and look at some, some roasting philosophy and ideas. Like what, what do you want out of the, a coffee? What is a good coffee for you as well? Mm-hmm. We, uh, we bought a UG15 um, retro from cool. um, K&M in Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason that we bought a... Probat is the coffee that I always taste and I like them are all roasted um, from a Probat. Mm. I, I think nowadays I have a lot of experience tasting good coffee from Loring, but, mm. um, but my previous experience was always from Probat. It's sweet, it's aromatic, it's, it's balanced, it's flavorful. Um, that's the coffee that I like. 
So I, when I think about like what roast machine I should buy, I, I mean, I should buy a machine that I roast and I will like the coffee that, that's being roasted on that machine. Absolutely. So it's pretty uh, straightforward. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious into as to why um, why start with under roast oh uh, how did you like, how did you learn to roast coffee uh, I learned roasting also uh, through Sweet Bloom so okay. uh, cool. Andy Springer who is the owner and master roaster of yeah. Sweet, Sweet Bloom mm. he is very generous and teach me how to roast sure um, but it's very I mean, because I like his coffee a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, it's the way that I brew and I extract it, mm-hmm. and I feel like that is something that uh, is very easy to assimilate. Mm-hmm. So when he talked about why he rose that, I because I have experience uh, brewing his coffee for two or three years, so I, I know what he's talking about. So it's pretty quick learning for me. Uh, but for Omni Rose, I think it's a combination of um, having a benefit of the business side because we don't need to stock um, two different roses for the same coffee, but also because the market allow us to do it mm. because uh, our market is open enough to have an espresso roast which is slightly more acidic, slightly more juicier, but at the same time, uh, the f- uh, we don't have a very much uh, like customer base which like two light roasts. Sure. So only roasts are still very workable for them. So I think it's a, it's a sweet spot that we don't need to stock too many different roast profiles for the same coffee. At the same time, uh, it, again, it makes my life much easier yeah. just having to nail one roast profile. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that uh, I think a lot of people are because um, only roast the last years have been this. It 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 really comes out of an easier logistic. Mm-hmm. That's really the reason why people start with only roast, mm-hmm. right? But we we also have a climate here in Europe where where some claim only roast to be this amazing best way to roast. But then again, if you measure your style of omni roasting versus like drop coffee mm-hmm. versus has been or mm-hmm. 3p then it will still be four completely different ways of roasting right oh, yeah. so it's omni roasting is is it's a difficult term to use as well mm-hmm. because it all means different things yes for for all of you right mm-hmm. um but i've always really appreciated the the easiness that comes with it from a logistic perspective mm-hmm. But is it then, is it, is it fair to, because we're sitting here drinking um, one of, of Coffee Room's coffees now, some mm-hmm. washed Ethiopian from Jimma, mm-hmm. uh, very freshly roasted, Yes. Um, but still super clean, mm-hmm. no? That there's nothing interfering there roast-wise in, mm-hmm. in, in the taste. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a perfect brewer me though, that's, that's, that's my bad, but um, I think that's, could one say that you're focusing then purely from a profiling perspective, mm-hmm. trying to understand how you how you go about it? Are you then focusing on espresso or filter more, or is it just a cupping bowl and you basically cup the coffee and then based on that, that's what we go with? Uh, basically, we roast based on cupping, and also we will we evaluate uh, like 
after resting the coffee for a week and then we brew to see uh, how it changes and how we should um, change the roast profile in order to represent the best flavor in brewing, not only in the cupping bowl. Mm. Uh, espresso brewing is secondary. And um, so it's kind of only roast because with our, um, you know, experience as a barista brewing different roast style, uh, I don't find it too difficult, even for very light roast, uh, brewing balanced espresso. Uh, but for me, it's about uh, showcasing the coffee, what I like, which is aroma, body, and sweetness. Um, so I have a pretty um, simple evaluation for cupping. I just have three categories and uh, in a scale of zero to five. And I will just you know cup every batch and have a score in it, on it and um, just based on that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cool. You said that, um, before we move on to that, I want to go back to what's the, um, what's the most, um, both, I don't want to say negative, but what has been the most challenging part with, with running a roastery? Like, is there something that you feel now after, cause how long have you guys, is it two years? Mm, uh, since roasting? Yeah. No, actually last November. Oh, is it only since last November? Yeah. Are you serious? Like just a few months. Just a few months. You started the roast when we met in Taiwan, uh, uh, almost then. Yes, it's just right before um, oh, the wow. WBC. That's amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> and then you okay, okay, very cool. Um, but what is the? Is there something that you found now to be very challenging that you didn't think about before, or is there any surprises um, so far? Um. There, it's absolutely a steep learning curve for me learning roasting and put it production and try to make it consistent every single batch. Uh, part of the reason that I don't think uh, you will experience that in your part of country because we are roasting on uh, a tank LPG gas. So you will have uh, not you know, even though the gas pressure says like 50 millibar, uh, at the start of the tank, you are having less power. In the middle, you're having more power. And uh, as it, you know, um, the, the, the mechanism is, it will absorb the energy from surrounding and yeah. turn the liquid into gas, right? So the tank will freeze sure. when you use it. So in the summertime, it's slightly better. But in a normal, you know, um, 10 degrees or 20 degrees uh, time, then your tank will freeze within one and a half hours. So you have to either change the tank or have something to warm it up. So you're always having inconsistent gas pressure to play with. Mm. It makes, um, you know, roasting is already very complicated and it's like exponentially crazy, more complicated Mm. uh, than it already is. That's the major challenging part, and but I'm I'm the guy who always like like improving and changing, and sometimes I will do it too much. Uh, I am actually not a good production roaster, uh, just to say it, because I always like you know what should I do to you want you want to test something new yeah sure. So I'm not the most Mister Consistency. I'm not. 
uh, but I like to work with new coffees and you know I'm getting better and better maybe one or two rows I will dial into the profile that I like but then I will um, try to leave it to my consistent having um, giving her the parameters uh, to rows and then I try to stay away from it because I always wanted to change yeah that's that's, that's actually very interesting because the, the coffee we're drinking now is one of the first coffees not not roasted by you mm-hmm. initially so roasted by by her mm-hmm. um how, how does that feel was that was that a difficult process to kind of hand over uh basically moving away from no i'm the one roasting everything to now someone else is also roasting was it was that difficult for you both in terms of learning someone else mm-hmm. but also just a, like a, a mental more f- philosophical question as it now you know coffee room roasting is more than just you uh, it's the same as when I first have my second coffee shop because I used to be on bar every single day. Uh, like all coffee are made by myself. But when I expand to a second location, then I cannot be at the two locations at the same time, right? So I have to dedicate. I have to find someone else. Uh, I would not say as good as me or I mean, it's just uh, me being confident enough of him presenting my coffee so in terms of roasting it's the same uh, because I know I cannot you know be there every single day so if we continue to expand we have to uh, I have to get help and uh, my uh, roasting assistant she's very uh, she has very good sensory so uh, I really trust a lot on her uh, feedback when we cup we cup together and she give me always give me very good feedback so uh teaching her to roast it's also a learning experience from myself uh, so it's not a difficult choice uh, mm. by any means it's it's a good learning experience for both of us sure and it, it should also allows you it, it frees you up gives you a bit more perspective a bit more time to, to think about what is next as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't have to focus on, on that part of the business as well. How, how many people are employed at, at Cupping World? How big are you guys now in terms of staff? Uh, we have four locations and uh, each of them has its own kitchen. And one of them uh, has a like, small bakery. In total, we have 31 uh, headcount. Oh, wow. uh, it's not very big, but it's... Uh, it's quite that, that's still growing right? yeah. people people that listen to this should also understand that Hong Kong is I, I assume and again correct me if I'm wrong but uh, I've been to Hong Kong one one time yeah and the first thing you learn very quickly when you talk about business in Hong Kong mm-hmm. is that real estate is expensive it's crazy it's expensive yes so how how anyone can have a coffee shop and make money in Hong Kong it's to some extent a mystery to me how you can have four that's that means you've done something very well right because mm-hmm. that's a pretty rare thing mm-hmm. especially in a place where you know I complain about rents here in Copenhagen but in Hong Kong it's it's it's, it's a lot more than that right yeah how has that how has that process been um, from, from a coffee shop perspective to go from one to four uh, does it get easier now because you've done a few like let's say you open up a five mm-hmm. you feel that that, that process is um, is simple and when you look at your coffee shops because I had the same um, question or discussion with uh, Klaus Thompson uh, a coffee collective and he for him every 
every new coffee shop was a was a, an opportunity to express something new, mm-hmm. right? They wanted to build a different experience of their brand. Yes. What's your ambition and idea behind the the coffee shops? Um, for me, I think I'm uh, of similar um, uh, intention because I always want to do something new. Um, whenever I open a shop, I don't want to accept carbon copy of the of the existing one. So uh, the second and the third one, it's we play a little bit about like how we uh, change the bar workflow in order to give the customer a better experience. And the third uh, cafe was to introduce a bakery, uh, doing bakery uh, like breakfast and coffee in a fast coffee bar, um, like central location in Hong Kong, really expensive brand. But uh, that give, uh, give me some kind of like Melbourne vibe uh, where people, you know, get like come and, come and go, like really good vibe. Um, and the fourth location is about the roastery. We're having the roastery and the cafe in the same, under the same roof. Um, but yeah, as I said, I don't want to do something that is the same as the past. So if you ask me whether I would open the fifth one, then I don't think uh, I would open now because I don't think uh, there is anything that I want to experience with with my own brand. Mm. Uh, because now roasting is already too much for, it's already overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty much occupied uh, right now. Are you focusing um, roasting-wise do you have uh, business clients as well, or are you focusing on only supplying your own coffee shops? Uh, we have a little bit of wholesale client uh, throughout Asia, and we do a little bit of web sale as well. Um, I think Hong Kong is a very challenging market because it's a very small city, and there are lots of coffee shops, and everyone wants to do something different. They don't want to use your, your coffee. They don't want to um, sell the same coffee. No. So uh, we, uh, in Hong Kong, most of the coffee shop are buying coffee from like overseas roasters, which is a good thing because uh, I see a lot of your coffee uh, in Hong Kong, uh, you know, Gadali's and like mm. a lot of different European roasters, uh, which give our customers uh, more choice. But uh, to my perspective, as a roaster, it's difficult because we do not have any wholesale um, customers uh, that want to buy our coffee, uh, which is uh, close to where we are. Uh, We have a little bit further away from the city. Um, And the other thing is for other Asian countries, some have a high tax for importing roasted coffee. And uh, going through custom is a pain in the ass. So uh, it's... it's, uh, it's a good growth, but uh, at the same time, it's not as easy as I thought. There are a lot of different challenges uh, that we have to overcome. Is that, is that also then from, for, for example, you shipping to other, when you say the taxes are high, for example, because there's something that we need to think about uh, as well, shipping from here, mm-hmm. that it is it's quite different depending on where, where you are in the world. But it's, you say that it's also then expensive to ship from, for example, Hong Kong to say, Japan or mm-hmm. China. Uh, mainland it's, it's that's a challenge as well shipping from you uh, it's not the, the cost that's yeah. uh, prohibitive 
uh, people are willing to pay more okay. Uh, okay. to buy better coffee. Yeah. It's just going through the custom. Yeah. Sometimes it takes like weeks, like the time two, three sure. weeks. Sometimes it just didn't go through. They just bounce you back mm. uh, wow. for no reason. Yeah. So um, you have to know the way how to get through the system. Um, we are still learning. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I, I feel that as well. We're starting April. It was, I'm, I'm almost spending, well, that's not true, but I was spending much, much more time than I want to on trying to figure out logistics, mm-hmm. working with different shipping companies and so on and so on. Yeah. It, it really is a difficult thing. Um, where are we in terms of um, a lot of people, at least what I hear here in Europe, we look at the Asian market. Um, broader than Hong Kong but still interesting um, and we, we see we see the future right we see a lot a huge client base we see a lot of potential I'm a bit different when I look at the Asian market because I don't I don't quite see that I mm-hmm. see countries where coffee is people are interested in coffee but they're more interested in a, in a frappuccino at Starbucks than they are drinking like an actual black coffee mm-hmm. I know Hong Kong is, is a bit different and, mm-hmm. and Hong Kong is, is interesting we're going to go into that as well um, because you get away with selling some pretty expensive coffees in your shop, which is I think is pretty fascinating. But before we talk about that, what what do you see like just objectively on on Asia as a coffee market? Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of opportunity? There's obviously growth in terms of new coffee shops, mm-hmm. in terms of new roasteries. Mm-hmm. My challenge is just that I don't see any volume in those coffee shops okay. or in those roasteries. Yeah, in Asia market, I think you will end up working with a lot of small accounts yeah. where like, they may only sell 100 cup or even less than 100 cup a day. A day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but at the same time, there are just a lot of Like them. a million. Like, yeah, sure. yeah. and uh, for me, I think uh, they, uh, because I think coffee to them is not like a necessity. They do not need the caffeine. They see coffee as a as a luxury, uh, lifestyle thing that they want to spend time with their friend and enjoy the experience. So, it's actually when we are talking expensive coffee. Uh, even though it's like eighty Hong Kong dollars a cup, about the same eighty kron a cup. Uh, it's not very expensive thing. Uh, if you think about uh, it's an experience. Uh, or it's uh, you know you're meeting with friends and you know sitting in a coffee shop for three hours chatting about things and enjoy a good cup of coffee, and that's the lifestyle thing happening in Asia. Not only in Hong Kong, I think there are like all coffee shops that we know of. Uh, they are looking for good, expensive mm. coffee. Mm. So that's why. I know there are a big debate of geisha, not geisha in Western countries. But for us, geisha actually make more sense because when we have a filter menu with different coffees uh, on the list, people always buy the most expensive one. I know it's not necessarily equal to the best quality, but uh, a lot of the time it's just if you have a nice, you know, Colombian, you don't sell. You cannot sell because yeah. uh, at the same time, you don't want to charge $80 for the Colombian, right? You want to charge a fair price. But then people will look for something, you know, as an experience, as a drinking experience. And they always end up with, you know, rare 
uh, expensive coffee like geishas. Um, there's a good thing about um, that uh, because when you are buying geishas, you know it always sell. But at the same time, the the cost is quite quite a lot. If you buy and you know you if you buy too much and you don't want to um, mix it up in your ex- espresso blend, end up. So, no, and it's a it's a I have um, um, another acquaintance in 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 China. Not mentioning any names, but he because the I'm also a huge fan of the Geisha Geisha Village Estate, and I think they do some really good coffees. And I know you guys work with them quite a lot. And mm-hmm. he bought it was one lot that I really wanted to buy, but I couldn't buy it mm-hmm. because he bought the whole lot, which is like one point five tons. <laughs> Of this coffee, you know, with with the kilo price, that is, meaning that I, I asked him so for how long how long will it take you to sell that amount of coffee, mm-hmm. and he said it will take me one and a half years. Okay. And I said, so you're locking up all of that money for one and a half years. It's a, it's a cash flow thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which makes it really really complicated. I would never be able to do that, for mm-hmm. example. But it's interesting then then both especially then Hong Kong because. You know, looking at, at in Copenhagen where we are now, or in Sweden where I come from, then you know, coffee, coffee for us, um, at least from from a standard consumer, is not the special thing, right? This is everyday fuel kind of thing. So, us trying to sell a coffee uh, for for the kind of price that you can reference in Hong Kong is like out of the world mm-hmm. because they want this, you know, really just cheap black coffee. They sure can be lighter roasted or whatever, but they would never pay too much for it in that sense right mm-hmm. which I think is really um, it's it's interesting because it's, it's a, it makes it more dynamic looking at how Asia grows mm-hmm. um, and it's it's just a fact that they don't come from a culture with coffee I think allows them to look at it differently right um, completely off topic different thing but I want to discuss it you said in Taiwan the last time I met you that you're not going to compete again in Barista Mm-hmm. You mentioned maybe coffee and good spirits, if I remember correctly. Yes. Are we are we going to see you compete again? No. no. No? Not in anything? No. Never? No. Why not? Well, first, to be honest, I said the same thing a few years ago. Um, at that time, I decided not to compete again. But uh, when I compete again was because I have something that I want to say. Um, that's the time when I learned roasting and, and I see a big connection between roasting and extraction, which I didn't see when I was just a barista. Uh, but now I, uh, in my coffee shop as well, I'm uh, spending a lot of time roasting, but at the same time spending a lot of time training new baristas. And a lot of them has a passion of competing, which I think uh, I saw myself like three, four years ago. And I really like helping them, uh, you know, helping them learning about competition, uh, growing up as a, as a human being and, you know, picking up uh, how to compete. And if they were to win, then it would be even better and more uh, satisfi- satisfying than me competing again. Mm-hmm. So I'm now more of a supporting role than I think of myself as a, as a competitor. And I'm enjoying it. Mm. That must be a really nice place to be, right? Because mm-hmm. so, you've, done, you've done incredibly well in, in your own competition, mm-hmm. right? And you're arguably one of the best persons in the world. 
uh, and it must be a, a really nice feeling to be able to take that and, and, and push that into someone else, especially if they're, they're working within your team as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have anyone, com- like anyone, any competition coming up now where you're thinking you guys are gonna, gonna try to win or where are you guys in the competition schedule? There, there has been a few um, baristas that worked with me previously that mm. I've been training them and uh, competing in Brewers' Cup and Barista. Uh, but they have all uh, since then left uh, campaign room. Ah. So what I'm working with are all like baristas with less than one year experience. Sure. Mm. So it's more of them to experience what competition is rather than trying to win. Uh, I think the coming competition is coming in September or October but that it's I think it's uh, it's just a learning experience for them uh, but I mean we will prepare the same way as I were to compete so uh, it's going to be very you know challenging for them uh, spending nights after nights uh, practicing but uh, it's not the aim of winning it's more um, experience for them to grow uh, and to learn and also, it's a team thing mm. that we learn together. Yeah, of course. And, and, and I always believe that uh, competing or having staff compete is the best investment you can do in terms of making people better in the company, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's a really... It's, it's something that for myself has been a very important part as well, mm-hmm. even though I'm yet to actually do well in a competition. But um, it, it's something that is pushing me forward, right? And I think that's a very... Um, it's just a very relevant approach mm-hmm. to have in general. Um, I want to, let's move on. I want to, I want to try to kind of wrap up one thing that I also had in mind and we're, we're back on the subject of roasting. I know we're jumping forth and back, but this is interesting. Um, I gave you a bit of coffee in Taiwan to brew because okay. I had a roasting workshop. Oh yeah. You brewed some espresso. Uh-huh. And I remember because on the subject of, you also said that you, you prefer probat. Um, but then you have been tasting some coffee from Loring that you also kind of think is interesting. Mm-hmm. But it was a comment you made there, which I think was really relevant, mm-hmm. um, where you looked at the coffee mm-hmm. and because you, you start by basically visually looking at the coffee and try to kind of gauge roast degree, right? Mm-hmm. And you looked at the coffee and you said it looked very light, mm-hmm. right? But then you start brewing it and extracting it and it doesn't behave like a light roast of coffee. It yeah. behaves like a more solid very soluble. Yeah. Which I think was a really interesting, um, um, interesting side note on that whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your? Um, are you are you interested in in looking at different roasting systems for the future, or are you going to, for example, stick with with Probat when it's time to buy a bigger one as well? Um, that experience, um, me brewing your coffee, uh, mm. was actually a very eye-opening experience for me. Mm. Uh, you know, when you are brewing the same roast profile uh, day-to-day for many years, you kind of don't need to think about it. So you look at it and you know how well it developed and you kind of have a ballpark figure, how many grams you want to put in and how many grams you want to extract. But at the same time, it's kind of... Um, you know, thinking inside a box where you don't experiment uh, too much uh, within a certain parameters. But um, after brewing your coffee, I think it's uh, opened up 
new possibilities. Like before I walk, taste any coffee, for example, um, you know, extracting less than 25 seconds or over 40 seconds. But I mean, it's just based on the experience of me brewing the Bros profile that I used to. Mm. Uh, it may not necessarily be a golden rule or anything like that. So um, working with different roast style uh, it's definitely helped me learn a lot. And um, recently, uh, I've tasted a lot of great coffee, some from you, uh, from Loring. Mm. Uh, the tactile is amazing. Um, the balance is different. Uh, I still like the sweetness uh, coming from a probat. Sure. But the, the clarity, the, the, the tactile, you know, and the aroma from the Loring, it's something that I would also enjoy. So uh, that would be a very difficult decision for me to go forward. Should I, you know, if I expand, should I go for roaring or yeah. should I? I think I will have to taste more coffee from you <laughs> in order to make a decision. <laughs> we give extra. Um, no, I think that's valid. I, I still, I'm a firm believer, even if, if I obviously have a, a, a roast machine or style of roasting that, that I at the moment prefer, but... I totally agree with the fact that different roasters have different qualities. They are bringing out different parts of the, the coffee. We're going up now in um, uh, a roasting competition called um, Nordic Roaster, um, which is a bunch of Nordic roasters that they geek out, and uh, 10 of them, they're roasting the same coffee, and we're going to evaluate the best roast. And that was very interesting last year because when cupping, it was so easy to be like Probat, Lorraine. Theaters. You taste this so clearly mm -hmm. on the same coffee, right? Mm -hmm. Because every roasting system kind of brings um, brings a character to the table, mm -hmm. which I think is interesting. Um, okay, so that was just a sign up. Moving on. Um, last part. I always ask two questions. I want to, first of all, I'm interested in, on a broader scale, kind of your perspective on coffee, on the industry. Um, are we are we at a healthy like first of all do, do you care about where the industry is or are you very much just in your own bubble of focusing on, on what you're doing you talked about traveling a lot um, getting a lot of inspirations from elsewhere but for me that's very interesting because I find people on the podcast being the exception but apart from that I find very little in, uh, inspiration in coffee personally mm -hmm. I have a hard time to be inspired because mm -hmm. what I see with most people, again, not the people here in our coffee room as well, or, or what are you doing, but mainly when I look at coffee, I see a bunch of people doing the exact same thing. Okay. And I get really, I don't get sad because in my world, I don't, I don't honestly don't really care. I focus on the people that I, that I do get inspired by and the rest can kind of do whatever they, mm -hmm. they want. But what is your take on that? Like, where do you, where do you get inspired? Um, how much time do you spend thinking about the industry at large mm -hmm. or is it really just you and Cupping Room doing your own thing and you want to take that as far as you can? Uh, it's, it's a very good question, actually. So I think uh, I always try to, you know, as in competition as well, just be myself, doing what I like, what I enjoy, not necessarily what the market needs, but at the same time, you have to balance it. But... Um, Honestly, most of the time, I just think of how I can do better. I think I still have passion. I know a lot of competitors or business owners has lost this, their kind of passion 
uh, in coffee or just, you know, they have a steady income, the coffee shop goes well, you don't actually need to change when it's not broken, right? Mm. Uh, but for me, it's always, uh, I want to try to do something new or um, doing the same thing better. Um, so if I, I spend most of the time looking at myself, uh, how I could do better, but at the same time, I also want to see how I'm positioned within the industry. So I'm not like a, you know, industry leader. I'm like, we should go this direction or something like that. But I'm seeing my, uh, our company or myself uh, in the position within the industry, uh, what we can do better um, to make, you know, the customer a better experience. Mm. And I don't know, it's uh, because our position we are being one of the first um, specialty coffee in Hong Kong so we have a little bit of influence on uh, whatever we do people mm. try to do something similar uh, I think in that way uh, we have an influence on where the industry is going but I do not you know uh, consciously thinking that it's just me trying to improve and give, give customer a better experience or um making our coffee a better product. Mm. I think that's, and in the end of the day, that, that's all we can do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't do much more than that. And it, it's, um, for, for me running a company, we, we had the same discussion with, uh, with Stephen Layton as, uh, it has been like a week ago as well. And, and it's, it's you, need, you need two things to make it work, I think. You need, you need first of all, longevity. You need to, it's a, it's a marathon, it's gonna take time. Mm-hmm. That's step one. Um, and second of all, you need a clear identity, right? You need a brand that stands by its own, mm-hmm. right? And it's not not just like all of the other coffee shops, all of the other coffee roasts, which I think is very easy to end up there, right? Um, and I think from what I'm seeing at Cupping Room at the moment, you guys are, are, are very much moving in, in, in your own direction, mm-hmm. which is where you want to be, I believe. Last question. I know I always say last question and then I do a lot of other questions, but let's try to keep it the last question. Um, I'm super curious always what, what people want to do in the future. Like what, what do you want to do? Not just, but with Cupping Room, of course, like what, where do you see Cupping Room moving uh, in the future? But also you personally. Um, I'm very interested, interested in, is this the last project you will do in your life? Or is Cupping Room a part of, of um, you know, an, um, a session, a few years of you doing something and then you moving on? Do you, do you have an idea about that? Do you think about that? Or are you too occupied with Cupping Room at the moment that, you, that you're not thinking further in the, in the distance? Uh, I think, uh, as you would also agree, being a business owner, um, like the, the company, how it runs, it greatly affects your lifestyle. And um, so for me, it's uh, also th- thinking how cupping room should go. It's totally related to how I, uh, I should, like I like my lifestyle to be. Uh, at the moment, I'm pretty uh, satisfied of, of what I am doing uh, because it's a good learning um, opportunity for me. Um, on roasting and I expect myself still spending at least years on it perfecting my skills um, 
So in that sense, uh, because I'm spending like two or three days a week roasting and the rest of the time training new baristas, so I'm pretty caught up on doing daily routine. Uh, but if you ask me what would I like to do next, then uh, it may not be coffee related, but I would love to live in a city that I enjoy living. Mm. Uh, Hong Kong is a little bit difficult. Uh, mm. You know, the real estate and everything surrounding it, it's a lot of pressure. So uh, it seems Copenhagen is a good place to, to be in. So I don't know. Yeah. You may see me uh, here. Um, you, you should move here and we should do something together. That would be so cool. Start a business or something. There's still a lot. Of, like, real estate is, is high price here as well. But uh, I think that's super important. Like for, for me being in... This sounds very cheesy when I say it, but it's very true. Because um, before moving to Copenhagen, I had no relationship with Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. I had no family, no no friends, no, no ties to Copenhagen. Um, but I always feel that your surrounding is influencing you as a person and as a business right so you're always going to be the 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 sum of your surroundings right in that sense so it's incredibly important to be in a city where you feel happy inspired and and, and grounded in and i think that's it's first when you are in that situation you're going to be able to push out Mm -hmm. the the best you can right yes i think that's very very important um Cool. I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with that, and I'm and and I'm looking forward to having you in Copenhagen, uh, if that if that comes in the future. Um, for those of you that haven't tried cupping room coffee, uh, first of all, that's ridiculous. You should have done that by now. Uh, just do it, as you say. You you sell online, yeah. so you ship everywhere. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason for anyone not to go in and and buy a lot of cupping room coffee. Right? You should try it because it is it is um, it really is really good coffee and. I for those of uh, those of you that know me, I very rarely say that about coffee. I'm very picky with my coffee. Thank you. Uh, so, do that. Um, thank you very much for your time. Uh, and enjoy enjoy Scandinavia, Copenhagen. Thank you. Thank you. From us here at April, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thank you.